Welcome to another edition of our Income Majors podcast, where we discuss the prospects of some of London's most popular dividend payers. We'll be talking telecoms, will BT's spending commitments, and its recent profit warning put pay to its payout. How concerned should Vodafone investors be about its leverage and its volatile earnings? Next, we'll turn to mining. Will Rio Tinto's continued operational discipline underpin shareholder returns in future? And what does a certain activist investor mean for BHP Bulletin's income attractions? Joining me in the studio is our specialist writer, Megan Boxall, and our podcast editor, Alex Newman. Megan, let's start with you. So what are the biggest pressures on BT's dividend at present? Okay, so BC does have a lot of pressures on um, on its dividend and they've all come to a head in 2017. So it started at the very start of the year with that um, that profit warning, which was caused by what was being described as an accounting scandal in its Italian subsidiary. So there was a, a big period where they were um, reporting profits um, in the Italian division, which just weren't there. And they're now having to pay a huge amount of money to sort that out. Most recently, they had to pay £225 million to two of its largest shareholders um, fellow um, telecoms companies, T-Mobile and Orange, um, because of the share price decline since um, uh, since the start of 2017. Um, so that that's just yet another cost that they're having to take on, or all these, the, these other charges to do with the global services division, which is where that Italian business sits. Um, so that's one of its big pressures. And then the second one is its spending on two things which are pretty crucial to its... <laughs> Existence. The first one is mobile network, so the spectrum which um, carries all of the 3G and 4G and someday 5G, which we all rely on to connect our phones to the internet. So last time there was a big spectrum auction was in 2013. Um, BT uh, was a big winner from that spectrum auction. It, it, it won a lot of the space. But also, so did EE. And at the time, EE wasn't part of BT. But since then, BT has acquired EE. And now together, they own a huge amount of the mobile spectrum in the UK. Um, so the concern is here uh, that the combined spend of BT and EE on Spectrum could drain a lot of the company's cash. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So the the potential to be spending on this on the Spectrum it could be massive for BT and EE combined, who which which are the together the biggest mobile company in the UK. But it does depend how much they're actually allowed to spend exactly. by the regulator. So Ofcom, which is the UK's mobile regulator, has put actually put a cap. So in July they um, released the new rules of this year's Spectrum auction, which they keep on saying is later this year and as the year creeps towards its end, who knows when it's going to be. But it's imminent. It's, <laughs> it's going to be sometime in 2017, apparently. But what Ofcom have said is that BT and EE actually won't be able to bid for any more of the 4G space, which would be massive. It, 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 it's almost something that would, for people who are looking for income, might be thinking, oh, that's a bit of a relief because BT won't actually be able to spend on this 4G spectrum. What they will be able to spend on is 5G, um, which is, doesn't actually exist at the moment. Um, there aren't any mobiles that can carry 5G, but hopefully there will be one day. And BT obviously wants a slice of that pie because someday 5G will make 4G worthless in the same way that 4G has made 3G just a completely pointless thing because everyone wants 4G now. Sometimes still works my Google Maps 3G. <laughs> Sometimes, but 2G, no one sees 2G anymore because that's just gone. If BT and EE together are allowed to bid for more of this spectrum, then that's going to be a huge cost, which hasn't existed on the BT income statement since 2013. So even though they've had all these costs since then, Spectrum isn't something they've spent on since 2013. So if that those costs do ramp up this year, that's definitely something for income investors to look for. And how about the uh, sports spending? At the moment, the um, Premier League auction is 
ongoing. So in the UK, Sky and BT are the two companies that want to carry the Premier League. Last time round was the most expensive Premier League ever. And this time they expect the cost of the Premier League to be a third higher than that. And it just doesn't look like BT really has the money to do that. We, we don't know yet whether or not it's even trying but if it is going to try and carry the Premier League and the Champions League again it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to be spending more more on it than they did last time so another massive cost and and aside from that uh, there's this matter of the pension right so there's a yeah. big deficit in the defined benefit pension scheme um, I think the trial valuation be effective next year is when we will find out whether the company is going to have to stump up a lot of extra cash and that's a big unknown right interest rates at lows guilt yields at lows meaning that that liability is very high. And the problem is for shareholders, that's really a moving piece. They don't know uh, how much extra BT might have to pay in uh, because it's subject to a negotiation between the employer, between the pension scheme and the regulator. So given all of these risks, how can you possibly pull that together as a BT shareholder to say, I think given even with all these drains on the spending that they'll be able to keep enough cash flowing through the business or retained in the business to uh, pay the dividend yeah it is definitely a concern it's something that bt shareholders should look at especially with the um, new chairman coming in november there's been speculation that it might be now the time that they're gonna have to shake up that dividend a bit but the one thing that that bt investors can take some comfort in is the fact that even though this pension is definitely a drain, it's also there are so many UK citizens that were, which are who are reliant on this pension that the government is quite lenient with BT and it's been quite lenient with it. Uh, the decision for it that it's allowed been allowed to keep Openreach. Openreach is a major cash generator, cash generator for BT. So the fact that it's going to retain all those really good cash flows, um, certainly for the next few years that's definitely a a, a bull point for the um, bt investment case yeah and all those drains on the spending those are potentially things um well when it comes to spectrum that are going to help it over the longer term so mm. in some ways this is necessary spend for the future growth of the company okay let's turn to vodafone you don't have to go back very far to time when people were quite concerned about vodafone's ability to support its dividend mm. the volatility in its earnings the leverage on the balance sheet the financial leverage uh, where do you think it currently stands in terms of the risks on this income play yeah so it looked like its dividend was in trouble because it had sold um its stake in its u.s business which was its biggest cash generator by a long way it was spending a huge amount on what it called its project spring investment program and it was also spending on spectrum so in 2013 which was the last big spectrum auction it spent 800 million pounds on building out its spectrum but Vodafone is that in the UK? Through. That was in the UK, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously they have all their spectrum spend overseas too. Yeah, especially in India, and that was a massive... So India was a huge problem for Vodafone. It's debt, the fact it was... Uh, there's massive competition in the Indian market. It's getting into trouble. It's getting into all sorts of conflict with the owner of Three, um, Hutchison, which is a Chinese company. But it seems to have got through all of that period without cutting its dividends. It turns quite a smart deal when it comes to Vodafone India, which has helped to reduce group leverage, but but also seems to have kind of firmed up the profitability in that market yeah. by, by merging that business. So yes, it's sidelined its India business and it's merged it with a competitor. Um, so together they are taking on what has been deemed the biggest competitor in the Indian market. It's a new company which is offering ridiculously low low rates. So the India business, I mean, it's still 
still not doing that well, but it's, it's less of a problem for Vodafone and its debt is no longer part, <laughs> including the Vodafone's debt, which is, is definitely good news. And, and in terms of pulling it back to Project Spring then, um, for the overall kind of capital intensive investment scheme that you're talking about, um, where, where do shareholders stand with that? Are they nearing a point where they can be more confident that the, um, the demands of that scheme are going to be reined back? Well, definitely, because Project Spring's finished. They've stopped that. That investment program came to an end this year. So the underlying spending, um, which is what Vodafone calls its capital expenditure, is going to level out to what it was pre-Project Spring, which which is definitely good news. But what Vodafone doesn't do, which is something of a concern, it, it doesn't include its spectrum spending in its capital expenditure, which, I mean, I would argue is a bit ridiculous. It's a telecoms company. Surely part of its how it exists is by spending and expanding its spectrum of mobile network. So the fact it's probably going to be spending quite a lot, it doesn't have, well, it has a little bit of a cap um, under Ofcom's guidance, but not the same level as BT does. So it has the capacity to spend an awful lot of money on this year's Spectrum auction. And it's likely it's going to because Vodafone CEO and uh, and the whole of its management team have said that they are really invested in 5G. They're spending a lot of money um, along with other Chinese companies and American companies on trying to get the rollout with 5G in the UK sort of in line with the rest of the world and uh, so it's going to want to be able to benefit from all of its investment in 5G by owning some of the spectrum which will carry that network. So yeah, spending could definitely ramp up this year but overall, Vodafone seems to be doing so much better. It had recently had first quarter results, so did BT but Vodafone and we, we wrote a piece on it at the time, it just, it's come out of the first quarter in a much stronger position than BT or how Vodafone looked six, 12 months ago. Is, is the lesson across BT and Vodafone that when shareholders are looking at earnings cover and therefore forecast profitability, that they need to look at what analysts are baking in in terms of spectrum payment? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's really important because Vodafone paints a very rosy picture, but it isn't actually including all of its spending in its... In, the, in that capex line, and some of the some of the analyst commentary does, and, and yes, some some, do, does, some yeah. doesn't. But I mean, by its nature, it's quite, can be quite difficult to forecast because it's dependent on an auction and mm. what they actually win, and yeah, exactly. also in BT's case, what they're allowed to yeah. um, bid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely something we should take into account. But mm-hmm. we, we're generally kind of more positive about Vodafone. Yeah, definitely, and it still looks. I mean, the vo- the um, dividend is still yielding quite high because people are still not fully confident. I mean, it looks pretty good value for for the fact it's come out of this difficult period and it seems to be doing much better. And its its leverage is still fairly high. The leverage is still quite high, but the amount of people using Vodafone across, not just in the UK, across the whole of Europe, is is going up loads. Its service revenue is back to to growth, um, which was reported in um, last month in the Q1s. I mean, it's looking in a much stronger position. Let's move on to mining now. Alex, so... In the income majors feature, we said that returns now are, are taking precedence at Rio Tinto. Why is that the case? I think, in short, it's that a bit of humility is probably returned to the mining sector. So people will recall that, um, that the miners have had quite a bad start to the decade and, and indeed to the beginning of 2016, um, the share prices were falling, the dividend coverage was getting weaker and debts were mounting. I mean, since then, there's been a a real reset and that's also of course been helped by the tailwind of of better commodity prices and uh, a sort of upward tick in the in the super cycle um but also in the i think importantly in the language we're we're hearing from uh, rio tinto particularly 
Last time round, when they were starting to build up a bit of cash in the balance sheet, they were looking at mega acquisitions where they were going to grow in volume terms, but not necessarily in shareholder value terms. Now they're very, very focused on returning as much of their underlying earnings as they can to shareholders, um, juicing their share price by engaging in programmes of selective buybacks. And, and and sort of committing to capital expenditure where they think their you know the return on capital is highest rather than just becoming a big dominant volume player. And you've seen that across the board actually with the miners that there's in this uh, commodity cycle, this part of the commodity cycle, there's more discipline than perhaps during the the super cycle. Yeah, I mean they're still unwinding some of their debts, so they they you know we've probably not reached the point at which you're going to see large scale M and A and you know these these high-risk deals that bankers love but shareholders probably don't love quite as much. But yeah, I, I think really now at the moment, even if investors have watched the space and seen the huge share price rises of BHP, Glencore Anglo uh, and Rio in the last year and a half, I still think this is from an income seeker's perspective, which is obviously what we're focused on here. This is probably one of the best buy and hold signals that we've seen for quite a, for quite a while. I mean, they've, they're completely reset and their focus is on dividends. I mean, Commodity prices are always volatile. They're going to go up and, and down, but they seem to have readjusted their attitudes towards uh, shareholder payouts. And what did we learn at the half-year results then? What we knew already from Rio is uh, their, their key commodities, iron ore, uh, copper, uh, and coke and coal, but in particular iron ore, had done very, very well. Uh, we knew they were, you know, they were going to have very strong cash generation, and that was borne out in the results. Despite canning their progressive dividend policy in the beginning of 2016, they in fact paid their highest interim dividend on record. And on top of that, they extended their share buyback program to $1.5 billion this year. I mean, that's, and that's a huge amount given the size of the company and given the size of its profits to commit to retiring its own its own capital. It basically equates to about a 50% dividend bonus on the interim dividend. Is that a good use of its cash? Uh, the million-dollar question. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very hard one to call. And, I mean, in the past, it hasn't been. It tends to be when the cash, you know, the cash is flush that companies engage in this sort of, uh, in the, this, this sort of financial engineering. That One of the pros is that it can be it's sort of smoothed and opportunistic. So rather than saying, OK, we're going to pay out a huge dividend, you know, in September... And then the share price adjusting to that that one payout, it's on market, so that can be smoothed over over six months. And given that the the feeling is that some of the commodities that Rio is in may come off a little bit in the next year, that could be a good thing. Because if there's a bit of selling pressure, then you've got a a huge buyer in the market to pick up any any slack in the shares. On the downside, it also says there's no real better uses of capital out there. You know, we're not looking, we're not, we're not seeing the sort of uh, projects that we would commit billions of dollars to. We're more happy to just, um, you know, sort of buy back our own shares. It also costs a little bit more than dividends because you know you've you've got a, a complex brokerage arrangement sometimes, and of course the track record, which suggests that they're habitually used at the wrong time. Miners have been accused, as you said earlier, of overpaying for acquisitions in the past. But is there not an argument that Rio could be using some of the spare cash to diversify um, by buying into areas where it currently doesn't operate in order to kind of protect itself? We heard at Glencore's results uh, that how future-proof they are as a miner in terms of what they dig up and how that's going to feed into our use in the future for um, electric cars and other kind of future-proof materials, I suppose. 
is Rio at risk of, n- of not diversifying at a time where it has the cash to do so? It's, yeah, really good point. I think it's very conscious of this fact. So uh, I think over 70% of its its cash profits in the first half of the year came from iron ore. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a base metal which is geared to high economic growth, but it might not necessarily fit to an economic future where China, for example, is uh, not so worried about building ten cities a year, and it may be worried more about consumption and um, uh, electrification and electric vehicles, for example. So yes, it is it is signalling that it wants to move. I think perhaps more towards copper it's a bit of the in fashion commodity at the moment so one of the big risks i suppose is still that risk of chinese demand and that change in the chinese economy and what that means for them as a consumer it's a perennial risk and rio would do very well to wean itself a little bit off its iron ore reliance though it makes so much money and it's such a low-cost operation it has in australia that um that it should be making money regardless really okay and at the moment cash flow is very good um and it's yeah it's very supportive um very carrying on the case that you make in the piece okay let's move over to bhp so it didn't make it into the income majors because at the time the income majors was the top 10 largest companies listed in london that had a dividend yield of above four percent now it didn't have a dividend yield of four percent at that point but it does now following its um, full year results. Yeah. So um, where does it stand now as an income play? Because if we were writing this feature again, it would be in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, BHP is a, a, a year to full year to June. So they, they announced their full year dividend um, a couple of weeks ago. That nearly tripled. It went from 30 cents a share to, to 83 cents. Um, although that's come from a, a very, very low base, 2016, where um, it had to really, really scale back its, its payout. But yeah, I mean, the, the, like Rio, the income case has really been uh, driven by uh, a very, very strong tailwind of commodity prices. So uh, BHP has large and excellent assets in iron ore, but also uh, copper uh, and coke and coal. Uh, the fourth pillar of its, its business is the is its oil and gas uh, business, which is has been less of a driver of, of cash generation and, and with it um, uh, dividend promises. But that should be changing soon. So we can't talk about BHP at the moment without talking about Elliott Management, the activist investor that's been calling for a big strategic overhaul into how the business is run, which bits of the business they don't think they should own anymore. And we saw some concession to Elliott in the results. Tell us about those and also, I suppose, how they impact on the income case in future. The the most important concession, which you, which you alluded to there, uh, was the agitation from Elliott that uh, BHP should really get out of US onshore. So it's very, very capital intensive, cash draining shale operations where you're basically competing for scale and acreage. And it's very, very hard, even for the peers who are who are solely focused on, on uh, US onshore oil and gas to make any money at all. So it looks like they've bowed to that pressure from Elliot and that they've said they're going to spin off the US onshore division. We don't know if that's going to take uh, the form of an IPO like they did with South 32 a couple of years ago or they're going to do a straight sale. I mean, for the income case, that's a good thing, I think, for two reasons. One, it it will potentially reduce this very, very capital-intensive, low-return side of the business and you know potentially put this into the hands of an oil and gas company which is prepared to think solely uh, on shale terms and for the, the longer term. The second reason is we don't know what the price of a sale of the division would be, but you would think it's going to free up significant cash, which could either result in a more reassured dividend over the next couple of years, 
a special dividend perhaps we don't know or an investment in the uh, the sort of projects that BHP uh, should be uh, more focused on at least in the eyes of Elliot in wider terms do we continue to see Elliot as we as we wrote in the as you wrote in the tip um, earlier this year do we continue to see Elliot as a as a help rather than a hindrance because obviously there are other things that they want that BHP disagrees with them on uh, about the nature of the company in general are we still positive about the influence they're having now that this concession has been made it's it's a good question it's a hard question to answer I think perhaps their impact has has been most felt already they've got management to change tack They've got management to admit that shareholders effectively have not been prioritised over the last few years. I think the direction has probably been reset. I don't know if it, if Elliot will necessarily feel they need to escalate the the battle any further. There are a few issues around franking credits and country of incorporation, which may they, they may pursue further. But I think the real shareholder realisation is if it has come out of Elliot's agitation, is already starting to be baked in now. Thanks a lot, Alex. And for more on all of that, you can read our latest analyses on BHP and on Rio uh, on our website and also our news story, as Megan mentioned, about the BT and Vodafone Q1s.